When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. We have a very special episode for you today. I am pleased to announce we have a guest host. My wife, my very talented and beautiful wife, Jessica David, will be guest hosting. Ah! Mesh is traveling overseas. He's feeling a little bit under the weather. And he let me know this morning that he wasn't able to record. So luckily, Jessica stepped in to save the day and be the co-host. And I would say that prior to Better Call Paul, maybe a year and a half before that was even an idea, Jessica and I had thought about, we weren't married at the time, but we thought about doing a podcast called Cleaning the Mess with Paul and Jess. <laughs> As this episode goes on, you'll get to hear more about Jess. Why don't you give us a brief intro right now? Like Mesh, I'm not like an attorney or anything. I'm not a expert in this field of law. I am in entertainment. I work in the art department of TV and film. So I guess I know a little bit about it, but not as much as you do. So I'll be filling in for the pop culture enthusiast that meshes. Oh, you're being modest. You also, you know, you're a human design <laughs> specialist and you, you know a lot about sort of how to read people and astrology and all these other things. I didn't know you were going to bring that up. You know, people are onions. But let's get into the topic this week or the news and updates. First story, Thor Love and Thunder opened this weekend. Jess and I are going to see it this afternoon or tonight, we're not entirely sure yet, but the early press is mixed, and but the box office is performing really strong. I think it's tracking to- Is it? Yeah, it's tracking to be between 135 and 145 million for the weekend, which is very solid. Not on the high end for what Marvel is capable of, but Thor is, you know, it's, it's a good mm. weekend for sure. What are, would you say, the other Marvel movies that are in this range if it's not on the high end? High end is Spider-Man, obviously, Avengers. So opening weekend, I think we're looking at Avengers Endgame was 360 million. Spider-Man No Way Home was 260 million. Black Panther's 200 million. So it'll be well short of that. But for Thor, it's going to be better than probably Ragnarok, which I thought was a great movie. Jess, why don't you say when we first met, 
I asked you what your favorite Marvel movie was, and you said Thor: The Dark World, and I looked at you like I did. Is it? I love Dark World. I don't know why people hate it so much. It's not the favorite Marvel movie of a lot of people. I think if you look at the rankings of Marvel movies, it's it's towards the bottom. But hey, hey. you know what was it that you liked about it? Do you remember? This was before Black Panther, Shang Chi, all these other. I mean, it was a different time. Right, but you wouldn't have said Iron Man too. It was around. Mm. Yeah, no, I don't know. Oh, you think Shang-Chi is in the top? I do. I told you this. You know this. Okay. Well, the audience doesn't. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say that, oh, well, now I I know I'm going to get so much hate for this. I think Shang-Chi, Black Panther, Thor, Dark World, Captain America, Civil War. I mean, you know, I'm not the biggest Marvel fan. So, yeah, I think those would be... My, well, actually, I mean, you know this. The original Hulk with Edward Norton, I think, is. And I think I told you that that was my favorite movie, but that was before the MCU, obviously. Yeah, we both liked that one a lot. That was a good movie. It was the first phase of the MCU, but before Avengers, because Ed Norton got phased out. So anyway, Thor, Love and Thunder, check it out this weekend if you can. Taika Waititi returns. He directed Ragnarok, which I think was the best Thor. Natalie Portman's back. Christian Bale's the villain. So very exciting, powerful cast. And the reviews, like I said, have been mixed. I think people are saying, you know, some people are saying formulaic or maybe not, you know, up to the level of Taika Waititi's prior standards. But as we always say, you can't win them all. And Hollywood's a fickle business. And Marvel has as consistent a track record as anyone else. And their movies put butts in seats. So good for them. We'll see it this weekend and let you know what we think next week. In sadder news, James Caan, legendary actor, born in the Bronx, passed away. He was 82. His most iconic role was as Sonny in Godfather. Godfather, for sure. Jess, what were your favorite James Caan movies? I have my top three other than Elf and Godfather. I don't know if you have any top ones or what your thoughts were on Godfather and Elf. I think this is where my age shows and... (laughs) I honestly don't think I've seen any other movies that he's been in except for Godfather and Elf. You can take that. So I know there's one that you've seen, but I don't know if you finished it. That's my boy. He was the priest in That's My Boy. Oh, right. And he was hilarious in that. And so my top three of Obscure would be Bottle Rocket, which was Wes Anderson. Hello, Miss I Love Wes Anderson. Bottle Rocket was his first movie. That's my boy. He is the sort of creepy priest that (laughs) beats up Andy Samberg. And the program, which if you're a sports fan, it's one of the best sort of college football movies. It's very sad and dark, but it's a really good movie. And he's amazing in that too. So Hollywood lost a star for sure. James Caan passed away at 82, but he'll leave a indelible mark on the business and fellow New Yorker. Rest in peace, James Caan. You know, JK, I have seen Brian's song, but it's been so long. Okay. Well, that was a legendary role for him, too. Why don't we throw it to a quick break, and then we'll hop into our next two news updates. Welcome back, everyone. So, Jess, I know you're in film and TV, and you're often producing TV shows and sometimes movies working. You're freelance, so you go from project to project, whether it's Amazon, Netflix, Google, what have you. 
Peacock. You've worked on a bunch even since last fall. I know we're both fans of Peter Chernin's content, but we should tell the audience, Peter Chernin, longtime Fox executive, current CEO of the Peter Chernin Group, great name, just raised a bunch of money because he's going to roll up several companies, I guess three companies under his current banner. He's going to start ramping up his content slate and looking for companies to buy. His company, along with the North Road Company, which is going to focus on unscripted reality TV. And then he has another company that did the ESPYs. I think it's Words. Words and Pictures. Words and Pictures. Okay, great. So, Jess, I know you you may not know the history of Peter Turnin, but he was a longtime Fox executive. He was the head CEO and president of Fox, and he left in 2010. And while he was there, he basically ran over an unprecedented run of success for Fox Broadcasting and Fox Cable with The Simpsons, broadcast, television. He basically made it the fourth biggest network and was succeeded. I guess there were rumors that Rupert Murdoch's youngest son was going to take over for him, which is very succession-esque. Yes. So this transaction, he's raising $300 million in debt from Apollo, which is a super large private equity fund, and we actually do a lot of work for them. And another $500 million in equity from Providence, which is a current owner of his company. So they're saying he's got a, a $1 billion valuation. So basically what that means, Jess, is if he's getting $500 million from Providence, that means he's selling half of his company to them or 50% more for $500 million, which is how they get the billion-dollar valuation. And, you know, Mesh often, you know, this is his area. He often talks about the state of the market and M&A and sort of companies raising capital and how difficult a time it is in this market. So it's great that Peter was able to close this deal, but he is also a very established player who has his DNA on a lot of great content. One of our favorite shows is The New Girl. Yes, New Girl. Yes. So tell me, Jess, from your perspective as a film and TV producer, art department member, have you worked on any unscripted shows? Do you, can you talk about what it's like? Do you know, do you have a sense of the market? Is it growing? Is it really busy? Oh my God, it's so busy. Everything, <laughs> you know that streaming is just everything right now. I've never seen the industry this busy, even though I'm working on projects, I'm constantly working on projects. I'm constantly hearing and seeing people just always looking for crew members for this project and that project. I don't think I've worked on any unscripted shows, but- What about Baking It? I think Baking It was, oh, right, because it was a reality competition show. Right. But I think that's half scripted. I think it's technically unscripted. It's not- Ah, okay. They're not hiring writers and writing the episodes and- Shows like Westworld and Game of Thrones where there's like a very... Oh, right. So it's not a narrative. Right. There's no script, really. I mean, it's kind of just... I, I, you would know better than me, but I, I think it's considered unscripted because you kind of film the competition as it unfolds and they have right. different concepts for what the episodes are supposed to be about and some of the jokes are probably written in advance, but it's not like there's it's a heavily written show. Right. Yes. Exactly. But New Girl was very scripted, and New Girl uh, was one of our favorite TV shows. Hilarious. <laughs> That's actually my favorite show of all time. Your favorite show of all time. And he's also responsible for another one of your favorites, The Greatest Showman. Yes. Ford versus Ferrari. He's got a great eye for content, great eye for talent. So I think part of the reason that he's able to raise this money is his incredibly successful track record and the fact that 
as you said, the appetite for content and the amount of content that's being produced is just insatiable right now. So more and more, despite you know the streaming wars and Disney and Netflix and Amazon sort of in this arms race, there's still unmet demand for content. There's more appetite for it out there. So people are still going to spend for it. People want to watch. And Unscripted is growing really fast. He's also focused on international expansion. So good to be Peter Chernin, super successful, and he'll be making more stuff, which is great. Right. I'm surprised you didn't even mention that he did all of the Planet of the Apes movies, too. Yes. And so the last story we have is NFL Sunday Ticket. So NFL Sunday Ticket, for those that don't know, is the out-of-market package of NFL games that was exclusive to DirecTV for probably the past, I want to say, 25 years, probably from the mid-90s. This is the final year it's going to be on DirecTV. Roger Goodell was at the Sun Valley Conference in Idaho this week saying that in all likelihood, NFL Sunday Ticket will move to a streaming partner. Currently, Amazon, Apple, and Disney are all bidding for exclusive rights to have NFL Sunday Ticket. And what do they all have in common? They all have OTT streaming products, Prime Video, Apple TV+, ESPN+. So the thinking is that NFL Sunday Ticket, which, Jess, if you didn't know, back in the day, let's say when I moved from New York to California in 2012, if I wanted to watch every Eagles game, while living in California, the only way to do that, other than to go to an Eagle sports bar every weekend, would be to get NFL Sunday ticket because that allowed you to see your out-of-market games. So if you live in LA, you're going to get the Rams and now there's the Chargers. Oh, I had no idea. No wonder you were- Yeah, all you get are your sort of local market games. If you want to see your home team and you live in a different place or the, the team you grew up rooting for, So I have a lot of friends that were Bears fans and they would have Sunday ticket because that was the only way to consistently watch Bears games in L.A. And that was exclusive to DirecTV. So if you wanted that out of market package, you had to have DirecTV for like the past 20 years. Oh, wow. I'm surprised it's taken them this long to do that. Well, DirecTV's contract is expiring, but they paid. Okay. They paid about a billion and a half dollars a year for those exclusive rights. And now the NFL is asking for an increase. Reportedly, they're asking for two billion for these out of market rights. And Roger. Well, good for them. Yeah, good for them. And Roger Goodell. Well, the NFL is the top television product in the country. The ratings are incredibly high. We've talked about it on prior episodes. And I think we'll do a deeper dive on this. When that deal is announced, Roger Goodell has said it'll probably be announced in a couple months, so it's still being finalized. They're in the midst of their auction, but good for them, good for NFL, and another win for streaming, I guess, is more sports will be delivered over the internet. Right. And so, Jess, you'll have more frustration with me on Sundays, (laughs) if that's possible. Okay, another quick break, and then we'll go to our main topic, Brittany Griner. Welcome back, everyone. Jess, this is another sports story. It is sports entertainment. Right. But I think it's a good week to have you as a co-host to get the female perspective on this because Brittany Griner, in a lot of ways, is an elite athlete just like a LeBron James, a Steph Curry. She's one of the best basketball players on the planet. She is a seven-time All-Star. She was a collegiate champion. She can dunk. She's 6'8", which I think is almost unprecedented for, you know, a woman. 
Uh, she just also happens to be. I mean, let's not forget to mention she's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. And really, the only thing that separates her from someone like a LeBron James or a Steph Curry is that she's a woman. And she's a woman who also happens to be black and gay. Yes. And so that's the fact pattern. Economically, the WNBA and the NBA are not at parity. Just to give you some numbers, the NBA annually makes about $10 billion in revenue. The WNBA is about $60 million. The WNBA is not profitable. The NBA is wildly profitable. As a result, the average NBA player makes about seven and a half to $8 million. It's going up at the high end. Some players are making $60 million a year. Damian Lillard just signed a two-year extension for $122 million. And the average WNBA salary is 120000 And Brittany Griner, despite the fact that she's one of the best players in the league, her salary is only 228000 And so... So ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, the reason I'm giving you this background is because for the past seven years, Brittany Griner has been supplementing her WNBA income by playing in the winter, which is the WNBA mm-hmm. offseason. She's been playing in Russia. And a lot of other prominent WNBA players do this you know, in a couple months, they can make multiple times what they would make in their WNBA season. And part of that is because there's a lot of question marks. And we talked about this actually in our live episode, how foreign money and foreign investment can sometimes be much more lucrative for U.S. athletes. And so in this case of live, PGA Tour golfers are defecting and going to play on the Saudi back tour. And they're making $100 million signing bonuses, which is more than they would theoretically ever make in the PGA, Mm -hmm. but there's major question marks and asterisks about the source of the money and the human rights violations. And like, can you overlook all that just for the dollars? In this case, in the WNBA, female basketball players can make a million dollars in a season playing in Russia. And part of the reason is because it's not necessarily that Russia has a more robust female basketball market or they sell more tickets or they have better TV deals. The fact is, a lot of these Russian women's basketball teams are owned by oligarchs who are billionaires, who are close to Putin and close to the government. And the speculation is that they clean their sort of like ill-gotten oligarch money through these female basketball teams in Russia so they can afford to pay much higher salaries and sort of treat the players better than they would be treated in the U.S. And that's part of the reason why Brittany Griner has been there for seven years or seven winters. And the unfortunate thing and the reason it's a story now is because February 17th, right around the time Putin invaded Ukraine and launched his war on Ukraine, she was traveling for her current season in Russia and she was arrested at the airport because she had a vape with hash oil or cannabis oil in her bag. Now, it was less than a gram of cannabis oil. And she has a prescription for it in the U.S., but it's still illegal in Russia. And since then, that was February 17th, she's been detained for four and a half months. She's being held in a Russian, I don't know whether it's a prison or some sort of detention center. She just had her trial this week. Her trial commenced this week. She pled guilty and she wrote a handwritten letter to Joe Biden basically saying, hey, please don't forget about me. Please don't forget about the other American detainees over here. I mean, it's a really sad story. Right. It's so sad. Jess, what do you think just about the facts? Well, obviously, it's really sad. I mean, the fact that she's there alone for something that isn't even, I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal. It was 
less than how much? Less than a gram. Less than a gram. I think I read in the article, she's like, you know, I'm alone here with my thoughts without her wife, her family, her friends. And yeah, I don't know. It's just really sad. And I think I was, I mean, you can go into this more, but the fact that she's being used as kind of like a pawn. Well, I think that's the biggest thing here, right? I mean, there's the NBA versus the WNBA Mm -hmm. side of things, and people are speculating. We have a good friend that's an immigration attorney. Gabriel Castro wrote an article about this or was quoted in an article about this and had it been, you know, this sort of thing in a country other than Russia would be handled you know, very quickly, sort of discreetly, it'd just be a couple phone calls between the lawyers and the embassy to get the person out. But in this case, because of the war between Ukraine and Russia and the sanctions that Biden has imposed upon Russia and the fact that the U.S.-Russia relations are at the lowest point they've been since the Cold War, that makes this a much more sensitive and delicate situation. And that's part of why Brittany Griner is being detained for something that's arguably pretty minor. And it is an infraction, technically. And she did plead guilty. But in a normal world, she would not be facing 10 years. That's the potential maximum charge that she's facing here. And of course, Russia is going to use this as leverage to sort of either ask for some sanctions to be lifted or to do a prisoner swap. And it's just, it's incredibly sad. Right. And why don't you tell everyone who they plan on doing the prisoner swap with? Yes. (laughs) I just think it's so ridiculous. So the current person that is being rumored is Victor Bout, who is called the, he's also known as the Merchant of Death. He is an arms dealer currently serving a 25-year sentence. was convicted for basically selling tons of weapons flying them over, basically running a service where he was funding warlords in Sierra Leone and the Congo and other war-torn nations and basically selling weapons for cash and diamonds and timber. Countless people were killed as a result of the weapons that he sold. It's definitely not an eye for an eye, if you ask me, in terms of like the severity of what he's done or what he was convicted for versus just having less than a gram of cannabis. But that's the thing. It's a very delicate political situation. If you're Biden, you need to bring her home. No question about that. You can't lift the sanctions and ideally do it quickly. I mean, the fact that this is dragged out for five months is really unfortunate. But the other thing is, I don't know that if he were to make this trade, does this make other countries more like, does this give them an incentive to detain Americans traveling overseas for minor infractions in order to get leverage over. But does it make Biden look weak? Yeah, that's so messed up. Well, actually, I was reading in the article that fewer than 1% of defendants in these Russian criminal cases are acquitted. Right. Unlike in the U.S. courts where they can just be like overturned. Well, yeah, I mean, the Russian legal system versus the U.S. legal system are are very different. And, And from what I'm reading, sure, you don't actually get the trial in the sense of what Americans think of as a jury trial where you're entitled to your own defense and it's got to be impartial and you get to the state has to prove every element of the crime beyond a reasonable doubt in order to get a conviction. I don't think that's what happens in Russia based on just what I've been reading about the case. It's more more that someone reads the facts of the case as they're pled. And then I don't know that you really get much of an opportunity to respond. But she's already pled guilty. She said, you know, she said, your honor, 
I did break the law, but I had no intent. She said that she was packing really quickly and she inadvertently included the vape cartridges in her bag and she didn't mean to do that. And it's, you know, relatively minor amount. So it's just a really sad case where if it weren't for the war with Ukraine happening right now, this could probably have been handled much more quickly and swiftly and discreetly. But because of that, Biden's in a very tough position where he can't seem too lenient on Russia. He also can't seem like a pushover. But at the same time, she didn't really do anything that's that wrong. And it reminds me, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Broke Down Palace, the Claire Danes, Kate Beckinsale movie. I don't think so. They got caught smuggling. I think it was heroin. And this was probably Thailand or something. I don't remember the exact story. But they were detained. And that was the story of that movie. This is obviously Brittany Griner was not dealing drugs and she this is for personal use and she has a prescription for it. But yeah, she's being turned into, like you said, a pawn. And what do you think, though, Jess, about the fact that one of the WNBA players was out, was quoted as saying if she were LeBron or Shaq or Steph Curry, she'd be out by now. I think that's true. I just it's one of those things where, unfortunately, as a woman, it's like I'm shocked, but not surprised, mm-hmm. especially with the way women are being treated today. Throughout. Right. Sorry to end it on a sad note. Hopefully we can free this Brittany too and get her back because like I said, it's such a minor infraction. But I, I also, I feel for Joe Biden because I don't think you want to make this trade for basically like a stereotypical or archetypical supervillain, right? right? This arms dealer. Right. Like, there's got to be some sort of middle ground. But how do you... He obviously doesn't want to drag us out much longer. Right. It's just a really messed up situation. It is. It is. Sorry to end things on a sad note, but thank you for joining us this week. Jess, thank you so much for co-hosting. Hope you had fun. Yeah, of course. Well, thanks for having me. Follow, like, subscribe, Better Call Paul, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us at Better Call Paul, the podcast on Instagram, which is also run by Jess. It is. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera, Marco Seiler Gonzalez, with assistant producer Justin Sanchez and assistant research producer Haas Nasser. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week.